So I was uh, walking out of Costco the other day, pushing my cart, and um, kind of like this. I like playing with carts. Did you know that like, you can ride them, and then you can steer them with your feet? I didn't even practice that. That looks pretty good, huh? So at any rate, so I'm, okay, so I'm pushing out, right? And, and all of a sudden, I run into three of my friends, Chris and her two sons, William and Weston. And literally, I ran into them because once I recognized it was them, I hit them with the cart because I thought that would be fun. And, and I'm like, so we're sitting there standing there. And I'm like, hey, how was the Gophers game the other night? Because they had gone to Williams Arena, saw the Gophers play. They had great seats, and we're talking about it. And then I said, I'm kind of conflicted because I have a diploma that says the University of Minnesota but my daughter goes to Wisconsin. Chris says, we're not conflicted at all. They're rabid, rabid gopher fans. So at any rate, we're sitting there talking for, I don't know, it seemed like it wasn't very long. All of a sudden, there's this voice, okay, over my left shoulder saying, hey! Didn't feel like very Christmassy, and so I look over, and there's this guy like, you're holding up everything, you know? And and I'm like, well, I, I don't know that it's quite that bad, sir, but we'll be moving on a little bit. And so then, we, and so then I pushed my cart you know, further to my vehicle, and, and I'm watching because I don't want to get run over by this guy or shot. You don't know these people nowadays, right? And okay, so I get to my, and I unload my cart, and I'm watching this guy out of the corner of my eye, okay? And then I do what every self-respecting follower of Christ does, okay? I have this idea, okay? But first, I bring my cart back. Don't understand people that don't bring their carts back. I, I don't, what? Oh, you're so precious. I mean, what? What? You can't bring the cart back. Okay, so I bring the, and I see where this guy's parked. And I have this great idea. Yeah, exactly. So I bring the cart back, and then I stay far enough away that he knows that I'm not going to shoot him. And I'm like this, you know, and he rolls down his window. And, and I just said, first off, are you okay? I'm a pastor, okay, I'm a doctor, but not that kind, and I thought maybe, maybe I could pray for him, maybe something like urgent had gone wrong, maybe, but, but no, he was fine. I'm like, okay, well, I just, I just came to, to apologize for wasting your, you're standing in my way, you know, and I'm like, yes, sir, no, I acknowledge, and, 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 and so I would like to, I'd like to apologize for, for wasting your time, and if possible, I would like to compensate you for your lost time. He's like, you were, sta- you were standing there talking for like four minutes. And I'm like, four minutes? 40 seconds maybe, but I don't know. Sometimes my voice is a little intoxicating to my own ears. Maybe it was four minutes. And I'm like, yes, sir, I agree 100%. I agree 100%. I wasted your time. And I, and I would like to compensate you for having wasted your time. He's like, you and your smart mouth come walking over here. I wanted to say thank you, but I didn't. <laughs> You know, you kind of want to play this one carefully, right? And I say, yes. He's like, you came walking over here. You wasted another 60 seconds of my life. True story. I said, sir, I acknowledge that. And, and from, from my heart, I apologize. And I'm wondering if I can compensate you. Would, would $20 be enough for the time that you've lost? He looked at me and said something else. And I'm not like, no, seriously, here's... here's yeah, and he's like, yes, $20 would be enough. I'm like, sounds great. So I open up my little bag. I get out a $20 bill. I go to him, and I, I give him the $20 bill, and I say, and I walk away. 
Right next to that spot was a dear friend of mine who's a professional educator in ISD 181, and she had that look on her face like she had just gone through the ringer that week, which ISD 181 had gone through the ringer that week, and so I jump into her vehicle and chat with her for about five minutes. This guy's sitting there the whole time. He wasn't in any hurry to get into any place, right? Okay? Just sitting there. Finally, he gets out of his vehicle, goes inside, comes back out with two bottles of water, sits back down. Sitting there talking with my friend, I expressed my uh, profound gratitude to her for, for being a professional educator, as I would express profound gratitude to individuals who are on the front lines, our, 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 our healthcare workers, our, our emergency personnel. I mean, it's kind of a crazy time, so thank you. And I said to her, thank you. And, and then, we, then, we, then we left, and I went back to my vehicle. Story isn't over quite yet. The wait is over. We call this the Advent season, and it comes from this Latin word, I believe, Adventus, and, and literally Advent, Adventus, means uh, coming or to come to, okay? So coming, like Jesus is coming, okay, or uh, to come to earth, or coming to America. These are all kind of the same idea, right? Describing different things, but, but that is the essence of the word, the Advent season celebrating the coming of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of the Son, the incarnation of the Word or the Lagos, the second person of the Trinity coming in flesh. Again, all of these are interchangeable, describing the exact same being, identifying the exact same thing. But within the construct of Advent, to come to or coming, is this notion of waiting. And waiting a really, really, really long time. They would have asked it in the first century, are we willing to wait? They had been asking, asking the question for hundreds of years, is it worth waiting? And I think we can ask the same question today, right? Do we believe that the wait is worth it? In essence, do we believe that if we wait, that both the wait and the end result will be more valuable than if we hadn't waited? Some of us might think in terms of delayed gratification, and, and that's certainly present, without question. But do we realize that waiting provides its own immediate benefits? To put it another way, following God is not simply end-loaded. It is present and it is real today. And how do we wait and do we wait in the right way? Small ways, right? What do you do when you're forced to wait? What do you do when some yahoo is having a conversation with a mom and her two kids in a parking lot and you want to get to your spot? What do you wait when you walk in and you're like, oh, wow, the line's really long, what do you do when you wait for test results or when you wait for a phone call? Small ways, right? Big ways? All ways? Are we thinking the right way as we wait or are we just growing impatient? Because I think there are a lot of parallels from the first century today. I don't think that history is new so much as history continually repeats itself. 
In this first century, you have various groups of people seeking political power, curing the favor of the authorities. You have a culture that's seemingly on the downward slide. You have some people who are making a fortune and other people who have no fortune. You have some who have luck, some with no luck, and some, if they didn't have bad luck, they wouldn't have any luck at all. Today, as we sit, we're waiting. We're waiting for this to be over. We're waiting to get food into our bellies. We're waiting to be with our friends. We're waiting to open presents. We're waiting for a biopsy. We're waiting for final papers. And I ask, can we wait in the right way? The wait is over. Jesus has come. And because of that, Luke chapter 2 has these two major themes, right? Major theme one, how how we can relate to one another. And number two, how we can relate to God. You might argue how we relate to God is more important than how we relate to one another. I wouldn't disagree with you, but I wanted to end with a stronger point. How we relate to one another, okay? The, The text tells us, right? Verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace with those with whom he is pleased. So, do we have peace? And if we don't have peace, why not? I mean, the text is a little bracing, so forgive me. But, but it seems to suggest that if we're not experiencing peace, Peace. Is God truly pleased with what I'm doing? And again, it's, it's a bit of a bracing message. It's consistent with what we've said over the years at Timberwood Church, that the biggest challenge to me being a follower of Jesus Christ is me. The biggest challenge to me having peace isn't external to me. It's me. And so I think it's a worthwhile question to ask. If I'm not experiencing peace, what's wrong? Now, please understand, peace doesn't mean that everything is happy. Want to have peace? Learn to wait. Want to have peace? Learn to say how I'm wrong. Want to have peace? Operate with the mindset that Jesus Christ is the most important thing. Not money, not power, not success, not prestige. So I get out of my friend's car, walk back to my truck. And I see the guy walking towards me. And I'm really thinking, is he going to shoot me? Why am I afraid of this, right? So he comes, and and he doesn't walk to the front of the vehicle. Maybe he thought I was going to run him over. I don't know. But he comes behind and then comes up the side of the truck. And I, you know, have this rusted out or rusty Chevrolet pickup truck. And so I hit the mirror, the window, and the window goes down. and, and, and And he looks at me, and he's like... He's like, I have to apologize. He's like, I, I, can't, I can't take your money. He's like, he's like, I do this a lot. I, I say things I shouldn't say, and I fly off at the handle, and I, I get angry about things that I shouldn't get angry about. And I'm like, man, I got you. I hear you. My heart to yours. He gave me the 20 bucks back. I said, Merry Christmas. 
Sometimes peace is learning how to say I'm wrong. Not saying, oh, well, if, if you were offended by what I said. No, it, it, no, I was wrong. Want to have peace? Then, then give it away. Give peace away. You got money? Give it away. You got power? Proceed? Give it away. Some people think peace is simply feeling good about myself. And that's part of it. It's, it's kind of part of it, right? But not totally. Because these concepts that the Bible deals in, okay, uh, peace and, and grace and love and, and being long-suffering and being gracious, they have to work in good times as well as in bad times. So peace means that when everything's going well, I can experience peace, but peace also means when everything is going horribly, I can still have peace. If I have peace simply because I'm doing well, then is it really peace or just some self-created sense that I have everything under control? Which I just want to inform you, you don't. You don't have everything under control. I don't have everything under control. We might think we have the illusion of control. We don't. Real peace is peace in good times and peace in bad times. That is real peace. And it's not a product of me just thinking myself to a better spot. I think it really is a gift from God. I think it's a gift that we experience in incremental ways. It's something that can build up slowly in our lives. We can understand the, the theological reality, but it really is a mystical gift. It's not formulaic in its acquisition. It's deeply transcendent. It's amazingly practical. And I really believe it's accessible to all who ask, who truly want it. That if we want peace, if I want peace, if you want peace, we can discover it. It's just that so often, so frequently, we only want what we want on our terms. And God almost never operates on my terms. Again, I'm not talking about something that I create myself something that I talk myself into or out of, not something that I just breathe deeply and get in a better mental place. I'm speaking of and arguing for the presence of a gift that God wants to give if we are willing to ask it, willing to receive it, willing to seek it. What if we simply ask for peace? What if in the midst of the craziness that exists over the next 10 days? God, give me peace. What if we truly experienced the spiritual reality irrespective of our temporal circumstances? How to relate to each other with peace. Second part, telling about the child, right? telling about the hope that exists, telling about the hope that we have because this child exists, this message of hope embodying a posture of peace. What I tell about the child, my life should reflect that reality. 
So if I say that Jesus Christ came to redeem and came to offer grace and came to offer peace, and I don't reflect those character qualities in my life, then I scratch my head and wonder, do I really, really, really effectively tell about the gift of Jesus Christ? How we relate to each other. The final thing to talk about, how we relate to God. Glory to God in the highest And then verse 14, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. This notion of glory to God, the word adoration, right? The adoration candle. This notion of wanting to see the work of God, wanting to live glorifying and praising God. They're fancy words, right? But we get it. Because we like to see cool stuff happen. What's cool to you? Might be dependent on your interests, music, sports, competition, a big fish. Thick ice, thin ice. When we see cool stuff happen, we're like, did you see that cool thing happen? This is the coolest thing in the world. Tiny and I were on vacation recently, okay? These Coast Guard dudes, right? They're, 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 they're flying this helicopter like 50 feet off the deck, and they come up to the back of this boat, and they, like, they have this line, and they, they pick up someone off the back of the boat, and this is the coolest thing in the world. I was like, I, I was with my binoculars, I was like, I'm like, did you, Tiny, did you see that? I'm just like, that is amazing. How does that all work? Because it doesn't seem like the helicopter pilot dude can see the boat. That's adoration. When you see something cool happen, you go, that is cool. You ever wonder why every artist wants to make a Christmas album? Don't say cashing in, but I think that's probably a little bit true. I think there's something more profound, more mystical. I think there's something more real going on than any artist is willing to acknowledge. It's the connection with the divine. It's this notion of God coming near, the imminence of God that is so overwhelming that they want to give their best to remember, to embody the reality. They want to adore. They want to say, look at this cool thing, and how can I can express this cool thing with this instrument? And so they embody the reality of the child born, the incarnate logos, the word, the embracing of the human and the divine, the celebration of all that is good and all that is possible and all that that holds, hope and peace for a tormented world. So yeah, I think there is something in all of us, even the most market-driven music executive or artist that is drawn to the divine. Adoration. A fancy word describing something profoundly simple and true and peaceful. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. It was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to be registered. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. 
And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds in their fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said, don't fear. For I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly with the angel, there was a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angel went away from them back into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that the Lord has done, which he has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the same that had been told them concerning this child. But Mary treasured all of these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Merry Christmas. Please pray with me. If there's one thing that we could ask for, wouldn't it be peace? And if there's one thing I could give to you, it would be peace. I'm not trying to surprise you. I'm not trying to trick you. I'm just trying to tell you the way it is. And the definition of peace in good and bad is defined by the child. And so if you don't know Jesus, I pray that you would ask Jesus to be your Savior. And if you don't have peace, I pray that you would ask for the amazing, mystical, amazingly simple, profoundly real gift of peace that only comes from God. That's my Christmas prayer for us. In Jesus' name, amen.